All right. Um, there we go. So uh, we have uh, we have been in a conversation the last. Oh. There's another on-off button. All right. And I suppose since I'm chatting, I should uh, I should mention. Um, I don't believe, I have every reason to believe I'm not infectious. This is something that happens every spring, and it's part of the fun of the dust season. So, um, sorry if I, if I, I know it's distracting when I start a coughing fit, but there we go. All right, so um, we are in a conversation um, about peace, and the reason for that is obvious. There's all kinds of things in this world that are, everything from Sudan, where there's there's violence and the the uh, the embassies being evacuated, uh, down to you know particular worries and anxious uh, things that make us anxious personally. You know our finances or some health challenge or um, a relationship that's not what it should be. There's there's a broad spectrum of things that that are not peaceful. And so what we're talking about over the last several weeks is the subject of peace. Where can we have peace? What what can we what can we do to attain peace? And then. To live in peace, and so that's what we've been looking at um, the last several weeks. And um, last week we looked at something that was pretty counterintuitive because the disciples were hiding; they knew that there was trouble out there, and they said, "Let's not venture out into the trouble." And Jesus came and said, um, "I want you to go out into the trouble." Jesus Jesus appeared to them when they were hiding and said, "No, go out there." And so. So that's pretty counterintuitive. If your if your goal is to avoid trouble, it seems pretty odd to be going out into it. But that's exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to do. And um, so, like I say, that's not necessarily something you're just going to to do just because Jesus said so. You have got to have faith that Jesus knows what he's talking about. But beyond that, there's the the, the follow on question: Is okay now what? Okay, I open the door and I creep out there where the trouble is. Now what? Where you know, show me peace in this picture, and show me why I can't have that same peace inside this building instead of having to go out there into the trouble. So, so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, Jesus has has taught his disciples, don't try to avoid it, and um, I'm sending you out into it. And the question now is, then what? What do we do outside that door? You know, when we go out through the the locked door into the world, what do we do then? So. Uh, the passage we just heard um, has has a list of things we should do. You know what that looks like, and so um, there's five imperatives in the um, in the uh, original language. So five instructions that Paul gives. He says he says be glad, be glad always, um, and I will say it again. And he says um, let your gentleness be known to all. That's that's a that's a strange construction, basically. I'm giving instructions to your gentleness, not to you, but your gentleness. But anyway, Paul says, let, let that be known. Um, don't be anxious. He says, pray. Uh, he's got three words for prayer here, requests and so forth. So he says, pray. And then he says, think about particular things. And then he says, do particular things. So, so there is kind of a, a list, you know, now that you're out in the, in the world where there's trouble, do these things. And it's a great list. And I encourage people, I mentioned to the children that I often recommend uh, verse 8 in particular, think about the good things because there's plenty of bad things. Jesus said, um, Jesus said, uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's plenty of things to worry about today. Don't go borrowing trouble from the future. So, um, so it's a great list and I commend that list to you. But, but 
I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at lists. You know, what if I forgot number three or number seven? Right? What do I do if I've got a list like this? You know, can you can you do part of the list? Do you get a benefit from just part of the list? You get into questions like that, and also any list necessarily is like, okay, well, I think I did it, but I'm not really sure what it means to not be anxious. You know, you know, you get into you get into interpretive challenges, and so instead of just a list, I want to look at this from a different perspective, because. Because as Jesus showed us with his parables, a picture is worth a thousand words or a thousand items in a list. If we've got a picture, that gives us additional context that we can use then to both to remember the list, but also to understand how does that list actually apply in in my particular circumstances. So I'm going to look at the picture here. Now, Paul is not as good at parables as Jesus, so he tends toward lists. But there is an implicit sort of parable going on in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, that when we understand that kind of background, the cultural background that's in play here, then it gives us a picture to understand how this letter would have been understood by his audience. So so what's special about Philippi? Well, we actually know something about Philippi because, because uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Luke is there and he's recording what happened on their trip. So he says, we went to Philippi, a city of Macedonia's first district and a Roman colony. So Macedonia is in northern Greece. That's roughly a picture, kind of the very bottom part of Macedonia. And um, the little the little square there shows you where um, Philippi is. And there's still some uh, ruins from uh, old Roman Philippi. And they've got their little um, uh, amphitheater and stuff like that there. And a place to park tour buses. So, so there, <laughs> Philippi is a real place, and it was a real place in the first century as well. So, so there is there is a particularity to Philippi. It's not just a generic city. Paul's writing to a particular place, and uh, Paul. So, so we we know where it's located, and Luke tells us it is uh, uh, the the um, the capital of this northern district of, of Macedonia, and he says. And it's a colony, a Roman colony. So what does he mean by that? What is a colony? Well, a colony is essentially an outpost of Rome. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. What is a colony? Well, it is a place where, where retirees from the Roman army would, would aggregate. And I'll explain why in a minute. But we know that a colony, the, the status as a colony was important to them. Because it figures in that story in the book of Acts. So in chapter 16 of Acts, as we continue in that story, when Paul and Silas are arrested, the charge against them, that the, the, the mob that arrests them and drags them before the authorities says this, these people are causing an uproar in our city. They're Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. So Rome is hundreds of miles away. It's over in Italy. We're in Greece. And he's saying, we can't, you know, us Romans can't do the things that these Jews are telling us to do. So that's that's the position. So they're thinking of themselves very much as we are in Rome. We are, even though we're far away from Rome, we're in Rome. And um, later on, the, the 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 authorities administer some Roman justice. They have them beaten with rods and thrown into a prison. Um, but the next morning, uh, when they come to straighten everything out. It develops, Paul says, by the way, you know, we're also Roman citizens. And it's like, oops, we're in trouble because, because if the Roman citizens in this colony find out we're kind of skipping important steps, they'll be very upset with us. So the police reported to the legal authorities that they were alarmed that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. You know, if you were just locals, 
we could pretty much do what we want. But oops, you know this this will be bad for us if you if you cause us any trouble because of it. So so we know that the fact that they were a colony is really important to the people in in um, in Philippi. So. Um, this word colony, in fact, out of, there are plenty of colonies. Corinth is a colony, for example. But Luke doesn't tell us that. The only, the only place in the whole New Testament where the word colony is used is about Philippi. So they really took their colonial status seriously there, more so than, than Corinth did, for example. So what, what do I mean when I talk about a colony being a piece of Rome? Well, here's the idea. Suppose you're the Senate of Rome until it got Became useless, or later on, you're an emperor. You want to you want to rule the world, right? So you you run everything from from Scotland all the way down to the Middle East. So you're you're in charge of uh, all of the Mediterranean world. You want to run the world, and that's that takes two things. First of all, you've got to conquer the world, and you can do that if you've got a big enough army and you know they're skilled enough. You can you can go conquer other countries and so forth. Um, and and so that's step one. But step two is is you know what do you do with the army? So um, we just conquered Gaul. Now what do we do? Well, the way that Julius Caesar answered that after he conquered Gaul is he said, "I'm going back to Rome," and he famously crossed the Rubicon. The Rubicon was part of the imaginary line around Rome that said, "Go ahead and conquer other people all you want. Do not come back home and conquer us." Right. You know, do not have an insurrection where you take over the government. And that's really, people in Rome said, I really don't trust this guy. And so famously on the Ides of March, uh, a conspiracy of senators stabbed him to death. So, so they assassinated, um, Julius Caesar because he had crossed the Rubicon, because he had come too close to Rome with his army. He was treating Rome like it was part of France or Germany or, or Gaul, uh, Spain or someplace else. They didn't like that. They wanted the armies to stay out at arm's length, or better yet, in Britain or Spain, someplace far away. So you want the army far from home. But that also has a, has a secondary benefit. First of all, they're not they're not subverting the government of Rome. But secondly, they're there because what if the people in Spain decide they don't like being part of Rome anymore? And they say, you know, forget these Romans, and they start a revolt. It's It's great, especially back in the olden days when you couldn't, you know, send a... C-17 full of troops or something. Back in the old days, it would take weeks or months for your army to arrive in Spain if you sent them from Rome. So it's good to have them nearby. So what they would do is after they conquered Spain, they would kind of retire the, the army. They'd say, you know, stand down, keep your sword. You know, you might need it at some point in the future. But we're going to put you on kind of a reserve status, somewhere between reserve status and retiree. And we will, since we just conquered this area, we're handing out pieces of it to our friends. You get a farm, right? You know, you get a farm. Everybody gets a farm, right? So they would hand out farms to all of the retired soldiers. And they'd say, stick around here. And they would do this around particular um, locations that are colonies. And uh, I don't know if it's, if how well you can see them, but the, that looks like it's got measles. And the reason is because those are places where there are colonies. They had colonies all over the place. So lots of colonies. But for whatever reason... Um, the, the one in Philippi, they really took their colonial status seriously. So that's that's the picture. A colony is a piece of Rome, and you get particular uh, uh, privileges. First of all, you got your farm when you retired. But second of all, you maintain your Roman citizenship. Even though you're not back in Italy, you are still a Roman. In fact, Rome came to you, that this 
this little chunk of Greece is now part of Rome, and you've got all your privileges. You get a different kind of treatment in the courts. You don't pay the same taxes as the locals. It's a really sweet deal if you are a Roman um, out in in some colony someplace. So that's that's the idea. You've got these almost like a garrison all over the place um, in in the conquered territory. So Philippi was one of those. And Paul says, here's a picture. He says, imagine instead of a colony of Rome, imagine yourselves, the church in Philippi, imagine Christians, Christian communities as colonies of heaven. And in fact, in the previous chapter, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. That you may not be a citizen of Rome. You may just be a Greek who, who got part, who became part of this church. Or you may be a Roman citizen. But here in Philippi, the, the place we're talking about is Rome. But he says, but as Christians, as members of the church, our citizenship is in heaven. And we accrue all the benefits that come from being citizens of heaven, even though we're not in heaven. Heaven came to us. This is a colony of heaven. So that's the picture that Paul is working with throughout this letter. So he says, our citizenship is in heaven. We don't have to go there because a Savior comes to us. We look forward to the Savior when he returns, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, it's a lot of, it's a lot of cultural baggage and, and that we have to wade through that they would have understood intuitively. Again, whether they were Greeks themselves or whether they were Roman citizens in that colony, they would have understood this language. They would have understood the metaphors that Paul is using to describe the situation. So with that background, let's go through the list again. So Paul says, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. So why would you do that? Well, imagine if you're a citizen of Rome out there in that colony someplace. Well, you'd be glad, right? It's better to be a Roman. You get special treatment. You get special benefits that come from being a Roman. They come to you just by virtue of the fact you're a citizen. So in the same way, Paul says, you can be glad as a citizen of heaven. All the benefits of your heavenly citizenship accrue to you right here on earth. That, that you, you are entitled to them, that there's, there's a sense in which you are, you, you get, you get that citizen, you get to enjoy that citizenship here, even though you're not back in Rome, even though you're not in heaven. So he says, be glad in the Lord always, again I say, be glad. So there you are. Um, you, you have a particular, you're different from the people around you. You have a different status. You are a citizen there. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. So again, let's, let's take a moment. Imagine the mindset of some retired Roman soldiers. They're thinking, you know, this place is a dump. I liked it better back in Rome. And they're thinking, but wait a minute. I'm a Roman. You know, we're, we're tinkerers. We fiddle with stuff. We build aqueducts. We build roads. We eliminate piracy on the high seas. We fix problems. That's what we Romans are all about. That's why we're so wonderful, because we fix problems. And we've got all the resources of the empire to draw on. So what we can do is we can put our heads together and say, hey, the aqueduct needs some, some work. We need to fix the aqueduct. Or, or we need lead plumbing because we haven't learned how disastrous that's going to be, right? So whatever it is they're thinking about, they say, we need this particular thing. And they can, they can ask the local governor, hey, Will you give us the supplies, give us the material and the manpower so we can fix the road in this area or or fix the aqueduct or whatever it is? Paul's saying, same with you, right? You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to just say, well, you know, the aqueduct's terrible, you know. You can say, hey, I've got all the resources of heaven to draw on. 
all I've got to do is send my requests up to up, up the chain, send them to God, and God will provide all the resources that are necessary to do what needs to be done. So he says, make your requests and prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. So pray. So do it with the in, with the insight that that you aren't limited by your circumstances. If only I was in heaven, everything would be wonderful. It's like, no, no, heaven comes to you. So just ask for the things that, that heaven has available to you. So, and then he says, he says, then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Now, again, this is a cultural thing. Rome was very proud of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Augustus conquered all that swath of Europe and no more fighting between the different French tribes. You know, they had a problem, but it wasn't the, the guys across the river. It was Rome. So there was now peace throughout the empire. And they were very proud of having created the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And Paul says, well, the peace of God surpasses understanding. Whatever you're thinking about the peace of Rome, you know, it's, it's on a whole different level. I mean, we can't even, we can't even imagine how much different the peace of God is. It's, it's like at an entirely different level. So he says, the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And, uh, this is a word, um, the, the word keep your heart safe. The, the word there is, is a, it's the, it's, um, it means to guard in a, in a, in a fortress. Uh, it means to have a garrison that supports something. So again, Paul's using this colonial language to talk to them, and he's saying, he's saying that peace will protect you. That you, you don't have to worry about, you know, the legion a couple of towns away, um, that might come and back you up, because the peace of God, God's peace, will support you. It will, it will guard your hearts and minds. So, Paul, Throughout this letter, he's using these sort of metaphors, and we see it in this list. But, but it raises a question. If, if it's so good to be a colony of heaven, why don't people talk like that anymore? Why don't we use that? Why, why instead do we have the word decolonize? In fact, if you go to the Methodist website, um, and put in the search term decolonize, you'll get a couple of screens full of ways that we can de- decolonize, um, Decolonize faith. Um, we can decolonize. Uh, um, uh, I forget. Anyway, it's a long list. We can decolonize worship and so forth. And the Presbyterian Church is the same way. It talks about ways you can decolonize congregational life. You can decolonize environmental help. You can decolonize the dream. So uh, it's a very uh, it's a very uh, trendy word now to decolonize things about our faith. And the question is, well, why? If Paul thinks so positively, if he likes this metaphor so much, why don't we want to think of ourselves that way today? And the answer is is obvious because because Paul's looking at it from the point of view of the citizens of Rome. They're they're happy being citizens, right? But we know historically, oftentimes colonial empires weren't so nice to the locals that that the if you had asked a Greek, how do you how do you like the Roman Empire, he might have said I'm not a fan. Um, if you, you know, same thing with Syrians or, or um, uh, Spaniards, they would have said, "Yeah, you know, not so much." And that's been the the history. You know, the British Empire, the the Belgian Empire. You know, read about the Congo, right? The the um, colonialism can be very bad for local people. It may be a benefit to some people back in the capital, but it can be very bad for for 
the local, the local people. And that's, Paul, Paul is aware of that. You know, we have the same, we have the same debate often, right? Should we celebrate Father's Day because some fathers are really terrible? Should we call God Father or should we call Him Creator? This is a, this is a debate we often have in mainline churches. And my answer is, well, Jesus called him Father, and that's good enough for me. But more to the point, Jesus is painting a picture. He's not saying, be like the Father next door. He's saying, picture what a good Father is. You've obviously got some standard, otherwise you wouldn't be complaining about that guy next door. Picture what a good Father is, and then multiply that. So in the same way that we can look at the story of the, the, the prodigal son who runs home to his father, even though we know there are bad fathers in the world, in the same way, Paul is saying, use your imagination. Imagine the good things about a colonial empire without the bad. Just take it to the next level and eliminate all the bad. And specifically, he says, he says, let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. See, that's the difference. The Roman, the Roman citizens there in Philippi, they probably didn't do this. They probably strutted around, swaggering, you know, we're the, we're on top, you know, we're the top dogs, we're on top of the world, and you better get out of our way. You know, when I walk down the street, I want you to jump in the curb, right? Because, because we're Romans. And Paul is saying, no, don't be that way, be gentle. The, the word gentle here, um, is sometimes translated magnanimity, it means, means you be the one to, who, who gives grace to the other person. Don't insist on them giving you grace, you give it to them. Uh, another word, um, I, I love this, a poet in the 1800s, he used the word sweet reasonableness. So let your sweet reasonableness be known to all. He's saying that's as you go about your life as a citizen of heaven in this colony, in this corrupt and, and fallen world, don't strut around, don't be arrogant, don't be obnoxious, don't be cruel, be gentle, be sweetly reasonable, be magnanimous. So Paul Paul is aware of that and he says, treat all people that way, whether they're citizens of heaven or not, whether they're Christians or not. Be this way. And then he kind of follows up on that in the last section. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. He says, look, we know about Rome, right? Rome's, Rome is a mess. It really is. Um, I mean, you know, there's you know, gladiatorial games, there's slavery, there's all kinds of problems with Rome. And he's saying, focus on something better. Fix your mind on what the what the empire, what, what the holy empire, the heavenly kingdom must be like. Focus your thoughts on those things. Don't focus it on the things of this earth. So focus on things that are true, things that are holy, just, pure, lovely, worthy of praise. And then put them into practice. He says, use examples. If you know a Christian who is doing these things, follow them. He's, and so he's saying, you know me personally. You, you Philippians know Paul. And he says, Follow other people. Use them as an example because this is the way we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is the way we act as a colony in a, in a hard world with all kinds of problems. We have the, the community of faithful here in this colony. And our goal is not to oppress the locals, but actually to show them how much God loves them. So that is the picture here. And it is really the church's job to, our calling, our mission as a church, is to present ourselves as a colony of a better empire, of, of, a, of a place that, that be, through our magnanimity, our, gentle, our gentleness, 
people will say, I wish I could be a citizen of that kingdom because it looks like a really sweet deal. You get all kinds of advantages. You don't have to wait until heaven, um, until, until you, you die to go to heaven. You have all the advantages of heaven right now. You don't have to be anxious and you can draw on all the resources of Almighty God. It's a great, it's a great picture if we present it to people with gentleness, with sweet reasonableness. So that's what we do with the peace that Jesus gives us as we go out into the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this picture. We don't have colonies, and for most of the last two, really all of the last 2,000 years, the colonies we do have are nothing we want to model ourselves after. But help us to have a vision of what what a what the kingdom of heaven is and what it offers us as we see ourselves as outposts of heaven in this world. Help us to to um, do the things that Paul has called us to do. Help us to think about the good things that uh, you present to us. Help us to not be anxious. Lord, bless us with all the, the, the goodness of heaven as we seek to show it to the world. Through Christ our Lord, amen.